Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Gittos Willen, a Swansea City fan and also contributor to the Jackcast podcast. You can find us at the Jackcast on Twitter. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I host the Burnley FC podcast, No Name Ever, which you can find at nonanever.net. Hi, guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Gitto, we'll start with you, mostly because... I want to hear your take on a match that I believe you attended. Oh, and was <laughs> right. It was the insanity, the nine-goal thriller that was Swansea versus Palace. It was absolutely bonkers from a neutral perspective. What was it like for you? Ah, uh, it, it was just the craziest game that I've ever witnessed in in person ever. Um, it, it just you you. I mean, you wait and we we haven't won since the opening game of the season. Um, I worked it out. It's 106 days since we won a game, and then that game just put me so through so many different emotions that at full time I actually couldn't like work out what had happened. Um, it was like you, you wanted to be happy, but at the same time you were confused and angry and shocked and all of these other things uh, that were going around. Uh, my my sister said at the end, uh, she said. Um, I think I'm happy, but I'm not sure. It was just bonkers. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, I mean, first half we were we were um, we we were poor uh, in the first half. We were lucky to go in um, on, on level terms. Um, we relied on the genius that is Gilpie Sayerson for a stunning free kick. Um, second season in a row, the Wayne Hennessy's being beaten at his near post by a Gilpie Sayerson free kick, um, but. Second half, then we came out much stronger. Um, took a 3 1 lead, um, thanks to two Leroy Fair tap ins. Palace weren't in the game at that stage, they, they were getting more fouls than touches of the ball. And you're thinking, a 3 1 up, you feel finally this is going to happen. We're finally going to get the win um, that we've been waiting so long for. And then, with a quarter of an hour to go, um, Palace make it 3 2, and then they make it 3 all. And then they make it 4-3. 
and you're just sitting there thinking, oh my God, this actually can't get any worse. I, I've never been so embarrassed to be a Swans fan as 4-3 in that match. I just thought, this cannot get any worse. We cannot get any more just appallingly bad. And then somehow, in added time, um, two scrappy Fernando Llorente goals just <laughs> send everybody into meltdown. It was just unreal. And it didn't seem real. It just, it, you know, I, I, I can't remember... Nothing like this has ever happened. I, I, there has never been a match like this in the history of Swansea City. Um, nobody that I've been talking to since then, no matter how old, can remember anything like what we saw on Saturday. Um, it, as, a, as a sort of exhibition of football, it was dreadful. Um, I mean, I mean, I think six of the nine goals scored came from set pieces. Um, six of them were scored inside the six-yard area. Um, and and you know, to put that into perspective, I think, you know, we, we scored four inside the six-yard area and through the whole of last season, I think we only scored six inside the six-yard area. Um, and that just tells you how scrappy it was and how um, badly defended the set pieces were. Um, but, you know, that, the scoreline could have been anything. And in the end, the Swans won. Um, and about an hour after the game in the pub, I, it kind of hit me that, yes, we have won the game again. And, Ah, it just—it's a brilliant feeling. I mean, I'm, I'm no more confident of staying up than I was before the game. The performance was dire. The only thing it really confirms is that Crystal Palace are um, in big trouble this season. Um, I, you know, but for the for the time being, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that the Swans have not ruined my weekend for a change. <laughs> that seems fair. Are there any significant takeaways we can take away from this match, or should we just kind of put this in a crazy box and ignore it going forward? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it just tells you that the Swans and Crystal Palace are two very bad teams. Um, and uh, unless Palace sack Pardew, they're going down. They they really are. They they their defending was so inept. I mean, ours was too, but. I would defend things always inept. It was a surprise to see an opposition team um, that were that was worse than us, you know. Um, and I, 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 you know, I mean, what can we take away from it? Gilfrey Sigerson's a brilliant set piece taker. He's, I mean, he he had a hand in every single one of the goals, scoring one and and playing the the main role in setting up the other four. Um, he's he's just head and shoulders above everybody else that we've got. And if we did not have him. We'd already be relegated. There's no doubt about it. Um, he he's just a fantastic footballer, um, and probably deserves better than to be at a club like Swansea at the moment. But you know, it it, it was ju- it was just a crazy game. It really was. And uh, after the match, players were posting photos of themselves in the changing room, celebrating. You know, like like you see in <laughs> most clubs these days. Uh, and you saw fans online having a go, saying, "Oh, what did we win the league or something? Why are you celebrating?" You know that why are you celebrating that win and that performance? But the truth is, we haven't won since the start of August. Probably not going to win too many more before me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's let's just enjoy the fact that we've that we were able to to win the game and the fact that it was a, a ridiculously entertaining, chaotic, frantic game. Um, you know, it's something we'll remember for the rest of our lives. You know, you're not going to forget a game like that. Um, it was just. It, it was bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Still trying to get over it. Um, probably never will. 
Uh, it was just, it just man, it was just mental, absolutely mental. Yeah, totally understandable. How have people settled into Bob Bradley as manager of the club? Are people starting to like it? Are they still questioning why Sigurdsson is starting up front when you already signed two strikers? Yeah, um, <laughs> basically that. Um, <laughs> so I'm still not in any way convinced by Bob Bradley. I think his team selections just guesswork. Um, I mean, I mean, he changes his formation and uh, and personnel massively every week. This was the only time that he is kept the same team because we we were half decent against Everton last week um but you know it uh, until uh Fernando Llorente came on we were we, we we were pretty directionless um I think starting without the recognized striker against a team like Crystal Palace it it doesn't make sense it just does not make any kind of sense no matter how you try to explain it Fernando Llorente came on and that's when the chaos started then that's when Crystal Palace could no longer handle us from set pieces as soon as we actually had somebody in the box to aim for. Um, and, and hopefully he learns from this and, and says, OK, from now on, we will have Llorente up front or who knows, even Bolcha, who wasn't even in the in, on the bench or, um, over the weekend, which, again, is just crazy. Um, but yeah, I, d- I don't think Bob Bradley is any closer to convincing people that he's... Um, up to the job, he still looks massively out of his depth, but who knows? He's got a win under his belt. May may lead to slight improvements. We we don't know, but um, I, I I'm still I, I I still see him as just completely inept and 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 just clueless. I, I've got to admit, I think that's how the vast majority of uh, of fans feel. Fair enough. Well, hopefully he can do well enough to keep you in the Premier League next season. Jamie, it started so well versus Manchester City. You get the early goal, then you deal with a couple injuries. Unfortunately, a few trundly goals from Manchester City give them the win. But overall, as a neutral, I thought it was a pretty positive performance from Burnley. Yeah, I, th- I think you summed it up well there. Early on, it, it seemed like we were possibly going to do the same as we did to Liverpool, getting the early goal and defending really well. But the goals that we're conceding at the moment it's it's hard to describe they're just farcical really the four we conceded on Monday at West Brom were similar two against Man City are just gifts like you come up against a team like City and you think if they beat you and score good goals they've got very good players you think fair enough but we lost that game 2-1 and City didn't really play anything like their best level to do that one of the goals is Aguero being very good at just reacting and the second one it's just hit him and gone in they've had to do nothing to beat us and that's what's frustrating for me I think obviously away from home Burnley have struggled this season that's no secret we've got one point from I think five away games so there's a lot of pressure on our home games and even though hardly anyone would have backed us to get anything against City the fact that we came so close suggests it's a bit of a missed opportunity for me I feel like we should have got something from that game even though it's difficult to argue we deserved anything with um, the way we defended for the goals and we didn't really create enough in the second half I think um, the injuries obviously make it very difficult it's hard enough when one of your key players goes off before half time when it's two in the space of five minutes before half time that becomes very difficult Um, Sean Dash obviously had to think on his feet a bit with the substitutions I think he got the second one wrong um, James Tarkovsky has been playing defensive midfield this season, but he is a centre-back. 
And I think it sent a message to City when he came on for the second change that we were just going to settle for a point, try and defend for that point. And when you try and do that, it doesn't often work. Um, so while Tarkovsky played quite well, and it's no slight on him, at that point I feel like we could have made a more positive change and really had a go at City because they're not going to play like that very often this season. They were very poor. We made them play poorly, and I don't feel like we took full advantage. So it sounds a bit ridiculous to complain that we lost 2-1 to Manchester City, who might well win the title this season, but I really feel like we could have done more in this game and hopefully we don't get relegated by a point or two and look back at a game like this as one way we could have got more from it because at the moment that's that's really how I feel but it does seem ridiculous when I think we were 9-1 to one to win the game um, but when you take the lead at home we've been very good when we've been in front this season it's very disappointing to ultimately get nothing from the game especially considering we had two injuries and, and Tom Heaton was out as well. So it was difficult and City battled, but I'm I'm sick of people talking about our spirit and our character and how well we, we fight and battle because we did that two years ago, we did that five years ago and we got relegated. I'm not interested in fighting, I'm not interested in battling and scrapping. I want us to get points and get results and the way we're defending at the moment, we just thought, oh, are we going to do that, I'm afraid. Yeah, want more actual victories instead of moral victories. Yeah, exactly. I'd take <laughs> us playing badly and getting points. I would quite happily swap that. I don't want these plaudits for, for how well we've given City a game. I'm not interested in that. I'd rather they battered us and we got a point. Like That would be fine by me. Right. And it, it is understandable. I know you said you don't expect a lot against Manchester City, but you weirdly have a good record against them. Yeah, uh, well, we oh took boy. four points from the, the two games in the Premier League last time. Um mm. Further back, we've taken some real hammerings from City. I remember a 5-0, there was a 6-1 not that long ago. I think the piece 5-0 as well. So over the years, they've, they've beaten us quite heavily. Um, but the two the two games in the Premier League a couple of years ago, we did do very well. So I think that maybe gave the, the players a bit of a confidence boost. And my argument is that if you can do that once, there's no reason why you can't do it again. Um, but the belief was maybe a little bit lacking. The second half... I feel like City really were there for the taking. Burnley didn't really create anything. Um, a lot of the football was very direct. City didn't cope that well with the aerial barrage, but you've got to mix it up a bit. It was too many hopeful balls from the back and just hoofing it into the box and hoping. And it wasn't good to watch for me, and sometimes that'll work. I think the goal we scored at the end against Everton was basically a, a hoof that landed nicely, and we ended up scrambling one in, but that's not going to happen all the time. You can't plan for scrappy horrible goals like that so yeah i think at the moment we need um to be a bit more subtle maybe especially against the top sides fair enough and you mentioned the west brom game which kind of looked like an outlier then it's two goals and this one said six in the last two do you think this is just regression that was going to come defensively because you were in the top 10 pretty much the entire season up to this point or do you think that these are a bit more abhorrent than that it's difficult to say. I mean, if if we go to Stoke next weekend and then concede two or three and it's similarly soft goals, then it will start to look like this is just what we do. Um, but I, th- I think it's more a story of home v away this season. We've conceded at least three from every away game apart from Man United, which was nil-nil and arguably should have been another 3-0, 4-0. Tom Heaton had the performance of his life. Um, United missed a couple of very good chances Ibrahimovic should have had at least one sitter um, so it starts to look like a bit of a free result whereas at home we have been very solid 
very stable, caused a lot of problems on the break, even though we've been at home. So it feels more like for me that the tactics away from home just aren't quite working at the moment. But it's it's obviously a concern. You can't concede six goals in two games and it not be a concern. And when you look at the goals we're conceding, it's just nothing like how you'd expect a Premier League team to say. I mean, all right, some of the defending in Swansea v Palace was <laughs> as bad, if not worse. But you, you just can't defend like that and expect to to survive. The the second goal, City's winner in the end. I think there's probably half a dozen chances to clear that ball, and we didn't do it. And you just can't play like that. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, well, now on to Jim. What an interesting week or just season it's been on the whole with the contrast between the Champions League and the Premier League. You do go through in the Champions League with, I believe, as many points in the group as you now have in the Premier League on the whole. Uh, so just talk us through what has been a very strange period for Leicester there. Yeah, Jamie was talking about home versus away form uh, for Burnley. I think we've got one competition versus another. Um, unfortunately, the competition that we're not seemingly doing anything in is the bread and butter of the Premier League. So we're essentially getting panned on a weekly basis now. Uh, the, the Champions League has obviously taken priority, but I'm not sure that can be the, the be-all and end-all to, to answer all the questions about why the league form is so poor, because um, you know, no disrespect to the teams that we have been beaten by in, in recent weeks, like Watford, uh, West Brom, and obviously a scrappy last gas draw with, uh, with Middlesbrough, which we deserve to lose. Um, I don't think anybody in the stadium that they are on the pitch from a Leicester point of view can have any complaints if we'd have lost that game. Um, and it, you know, you can't. I appreciate you know, playing midweek is is different for a lot of these players. That the motivation and stuff is being questioned, and there must be something more to it than just a, you know a tiredness factor. We've got a squad which is looking a little bit threadbare at the moment um, due to a couple of key injuries. Kasper Schmeichel still out with a broken hand, which he sustained in Copenhagen um, on the last Champions League um, away 
uh, fixture and then we've got uh, Danny Drinkwater out as well through a, a very much self-inflicted suspension for an elbow against Watford uh, which I think just shows how frustrated he was at the fact that he's probably one of the only players this year to come out of any credit um, and then we turn up against Middlesbrough with uh, Andy King and Daniel Amate in, in central midfield and basically they run through us for half an hour um, completely bossed the middle of the park. We barely had a kick and deservedly went behind. Um, and basically, we only came back into the game when we got a, a questionable uh, penalty it, it, towards the end of the first half. We then started to kick on a little bit second half and looked like we might get ourselves into the game. But again, a stupid defensive error where Robert Huth and uh, Christian Fuchs have absolutely no idea um, who's doing what and basically let a long ball over the top, which used to be a hard tactic, um, completely flummoxed them. And uh, Alvaro Negredo, who is far from Usain Bolt, strolls in behind our back four and, and slots the ball past um, Ron Robert Ziegler, who isn't covering himself in glory, I must admit, at the moment. Um, he's a young goalkeeper and obviously coming in from the Bundesliga, doesn't have a lot of Premier League experience and he's kind of been thrust into the spotlight perhaps a little bit sooner than Claudio Ranieri would have liked when we signed him. But the whole point of signing your backup is that they're supposed to come in and do something, you know, approximately a decent job. And he's he, he's struggling a little bit. I think he's not quite as much of a commanding presence as Casper is. And I think the defence is showing that signs of weakness um, and nervousness based off the back of that. Um, I certainly think there's, there's stuff to work on um, for the guys in training. We haven't got a, a, a midweek game this week. Um, so fingers crossed we're able to, to get those ironed out. But yeah, going back to Saturday, it was essentially another last gas last gasp effort. Um, we basically threw everyone forward, and that's testament to the fact Wes Morgan had the ball at his feet on the edge of the 18-yard area, going into the last minute of injury time. Um, gets brought down by a, a kind of brainless challenge by Darun. He, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. He must be so disappointed in himself because he played pretty well up until that point, and then just literally gave it away. Um, and Soleimani managed to um, to put it away because we'd taken Mares and Vardy off at that point. So he, the kind of penalty duties went back to him. Um, put it away, calm as you like. And we, yeah, we we burgled it essentially. We how we got a point out of that game. The highlights actually that I watched today made it look like quite an even contest. In, in reality, we very very rarely did anything, um, and we we were very very lucky to to get away with a point. Um, so yeah, some some big improvements need to be made, and you know it's difficult at the moment because we have got injuries. But Claudio's got to find a solution. It's all very well when you're winning every game and you know going on a really good run, but it's you know this is where he's he's going to earn his money, so to speak, because he's got he's got these uh, difficult factors that he's not really had to deal with before, and um, that's what you know that's what makes you the the mark of a good manager essentially. So I think it's time for him to um, to, to get things together as well. Yeah, I hate to go all the way back to the very beginning of your thing when you were saying that it was like Jamie's home and away splits with you in the Premier League and the Champions League. But don't worry, you also have those home and away splits in the Premier League. Leicester currently with the worst away defensive record in the league, which is astounding considering how good you were down the back end of last season. And uh, also, it's pretty, impressive. it's pretty impressive to be worse than Burnley in that department <laughs> as well. 
Well done. And I'm sure Gita will be surprised worse than Swansea and Palace after yesterday as well. Um, so is is there anything to this or is this just like a weird statistic? Because it, it's crazy how ineffective you've been away from home. And the, the part of that narrative was how great you had been at home. You actually had the second best home defensive record. But then, you know, yesterday happened against the Middlesbrough attack that uh, calling it middling would be praising. Yeah. It was, it, it's, I wish I knew the answer because I think I'd be a very rich man if I did. Um, it's, it's so difficult to put your, your finger on because obviously the, the, the goalkeeper is injured at the moment. Casper is out and he is such a big part of that, that back five. Um, but it, it's essentially the same four players that were keeping us at the top of the Premier League week in, week out, shutting out teams and playing gritty kind of backs to the wall football and just coming up with the goods every single week. Um, Christian Fuchs... Robert Huth, Wes Morgan and Danny Simpson. And it's just, it, I don't know. Perhaps it is a motivational thing. Um, there's a lot of fans pointing to the fact that all these players have got new contracts. One of the first things we did in the summer uh, before we kind of went out on a recruitment drive was to bump up the contracts of, you know, pretty much everyone in the side, which you can say, yeah, fair enough. They deserve that after winning the league. But a lot of people are now using that as a stick to beat people with, essentially, to say, um Maybe the motivation is a factor. Mark Albrighton did a the post-match interview um, after the game on Saturday and did highlight the fact that playing um, Wednesday, Sunday or, or Tuesday, Saturday um, is is proving a challenge. But again, that's something you knew is happening three months in advance. If you think your squad isn't deep enough, then go and sign more players. And we did have some recruitment in the summer, but we didn't have as much as a lot of people thought we would, I think. We did spend a lot of money up front. Um we're now looking really, really threadbare in, in the midfield. And I think basically it's coming down to that. I don't think it's necessarily the defence. I think it's the fact that the opposition are able to create so many more chances per game because of the fact they're just able to run through us in central midfield. Obviously, Kante is a huge miss. He's, you know, for me, he was probably the player of the season last year in terms of the league. And I think he's so underrated in what he does. And you're seeing his effect now at Chelsea, playing in that kind of double pivot in the central midfield with Matic. Um where you know they're just looking unstoppable, and their recent kind of defensive um, switch to that three-four-three with those two playing the central midfield role has, has led to so many clean sheets and wins and stuff. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, we just we just haven't replaced him with with anyone vaguely close to his ability, and and that therefore Danny Drinkwater isn't able to perform at the level that he was last year. And again, that's putting pressure on the the, the defense, and it's just you know they're creaking. They're another year older. Um, that, that none of them are particularly young. Um, I think Simpson's the only one under 30, and I think he's 29. So um, it's uh, it's not exactly a youthful setup at the moment. Um, it's just a case of, you know, I don't know what we do to iron the kinks out, and I think that's probably what makes it worse, um, because Casper isn't necessarily going to be back um, for a little while. We don't know. He's back in training, but I suppose with a broken hand, you have to take these things slowly. So there's no guarantee he's going to be back by Sunderland next weekend. I think maybe it's organisation. One thing that we seem to be struggling with most of all is set pieces at the moment. We didn't concede a set piece goal on Saturday, but up until then, you know, we've been absolutely overrun at set pieces, and that was our real strength last year. That we want, we actively wanted to, <clears throat> we actively wanted to um, encourage teams to throw kind of balls into the area because that was where we we thought we were strongest uh, with that centre back partnership, and it's just not happening this year. It's you know, as Jamie pointed to with Burnley just these kind of completely brainless nonsensical errors are just creeping into our game and 
you know, it, it's, it's going to take a lot of working out. But I hope for our sake we do it sooner rather than later because the form that we're in, it's not going to take many more results like that against teams that in reality everyone thinks we should be beating. And you're then faced with a really tough run of fixtures further on down the league, needing points to stop yourselves looking over your shoulders. Yeah. Um, well, from Jim, whose Leicester side have been very good in the Champions League, uh, to Tottenham, who the other thing. Um, very disappointing from us uh, in the Champions League. Getting beaten by Monaco, again, was not the way that we wanted to go out. I uh, did have somebody ask me how many goals we'd need to score against Seska to be able to continue. That's not how the Champions League works. It's head-to-head, and we're tied with Leverkusen, who beat us. So that is why it is uh, the death knell is already there. Um, it, we did not put out our best 11. Uh, I might say it all. Maybe the first Monaco match. But since then, it's been a whole lot of rotation. And for those people that, that last year... Uh, during the Dortmund match, said that this was concerning if this was Pochettino's approach to European competition. And I was like, calm down. You know, this isn't the Champions League. This is the Europa League. We got a tough draw. It was during a tough run in the Premier League. This just wasn't what our priority was. I think I owe all those people an apology because clearly that was continuing to be the approach, which was continue to rotate, see if we can field the best team possible in both competitions. And it uh, did not work on either front as we neither beat Monaco to keep the Champions League glory uh, hopes alive, uh, nor did we beat Chelsea at the weekend. Granted, both of those uh, matches very difficult, but uh, it kind of feels like we hedged our bets and ended up losing both. But um, the Chelsea match was not as frustrating as people were reacting. I think the loss really like flipped the crazy switch in people. Um, but it really wasn't that bad of a performance on the whole. Seeing Erickson get back on the score sheet was very good. I think the most concerning, well, there are two, two really big concerning things taking away from this Chelsea match. The first is, and I've referenced this before, but who's going to score the second goal? Our defense is very good. Rarely will we let in more than one. And if we do, it'll be two basically max. So if we let in one, who's going to score the second to win it? If we allow two, who's going to score the second to tie? And I just don't know where that goal is going to come from. Missing Lamella is huge. We missed Danny Rose in this one. We were missing Toby Alderweireld in this one. But you only have so many excuses. And I've seen people saying, well, every team deals with injuries. And so there's no uh, reason to complain, which I completely agree with. Injuries happen to every team. The problem is that last year they did not happen to us. And so then you have to start wondering, is that why we were able to find the success that we were? That we were able to identify what our best 11 was fairly early in the season and just basically rolled them week in and week out uh, uh, to great success, save for uh, Vertonghen's two-month injury layoff where Vimmer stepped in and, and did a very excellent job, which, while we're talking about Vimmer, he has not done over the last two weeks or so when he's been involved, uh, granted, at left back versus Chelsea. Um, which was always going to be a concern with Victor Moses apparently being good now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's frustrating. The Chelsea result won for sure. I will say, from a non-on-the-pitch standpoint, with Mourinho gone and Terry basically gone and no Fabregas, I kind of hate Chelsea less. I've always loved Antonio Conte. I think he's perpetually underrated as a manager. And I, I also saw some people complaining like, Oh, of course we had to play Chelsea during this run where they had conceded no goals and six six straight wins. Fortunately, we did score a goal against them. But we also got to play Liverpool early in the season before they really caught their stride. So that's it's just going to neutralize over a year the, the balance of scheduling. Because uh, 
I don't know. I don't want to let you guys in on too much insider info here, but every team plays everyone else twice. So, <laughs> no way. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, Spoilers, it's crazy stuff. <laughs> there was an embargo. Hopefully, I don't get in trouble for this. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm not going to complain about that. I thought it was an admirable, admirable performance from us. I really do. Um, the, those two questions are the main ones, though. Is who's going to score aside from Kane? And well, I, I guess now that it's uh, just the Premier League, I don't think we're going to try too hard in the Europa League. But I did say at the beginning of the season that this would be the perfect Europa League year for us because you bring in Jansen, who needs confidence, needs to play against some some lesser opposition, the likes of Onoma and Winks and um, Cameron Carter-Vickers. All those guys would really benefit from playing in Europe. We'd be able to use them there, play our best team in the Premier League. And now we're going to have a chance to do that. I think we'll probably just play the kids uh, against... CSKA or Seska, whatever you want to call them, uh, in the last Champions League match. Uh, and then kind of see what happens. If they make it through, we'll do the draw, see who we get. Um, few teams have more Europa League experience than us, so maybe we'd actually go for it in that instance. But all in all, not too concerned. Um, the uh, It looked midweek like we were going to try to uh, cancel the trial period with Wembley to be able to play our Europa League matches at White Hart Lane. Uh, Pochettino and or Daniel Levy shut that down. The quotes coming out of the club sounding something along the lines of, we need to get used to playing at Wembley because we're going to play there all year next season. So um, we do need to get acclimated to that. So it's been a very frustrating week for Tottenham, but I think there are a lot of positives that people are missing. And so this is the week on the swing where everybody's going to say I'm too optimistic and naive. And then next week when we do something like win and say to not get carried away, then I'll be super negative. Um, just to let you guys know where on that spectrum I'm going to constantly fall as a Spurs fan. All right, and now we are about half an hour into the show, so why don't we get into the topic? Um, there have been so many formational changes in the Premier League. Everybody's throwing out threes at the back, five at the back. We're seeing some diamonds. We're seeing some false nines up front. It's hard to keep track of, even for people that do this all the time, uh, like the guys on this show right now. So I thought it'd be interesting to just walk us through what your club is doing at the moment and maybe some players that it hurts and helps uh, with your new formations and or tactics. Uh, well, at Swansea uh, over the last few weeks, uh, since Bob Bradley turned up, um, it's it's just been all changed pretty much every week. This is the first week we've uh, actually stuck with the same 11 and same formation for two weeks in a row. Um, I think that was just so that people didn't lose their minds through um, chopping and changing. Um, it's actually been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a theme actually for longer than that with us. It goes, I mean, Guidolin was very bad at it. Um, and Gary Monk before that was quite, um, uh, had developed some nasty traits of chopping and changing and just choosing random formations in the hope that it would work. Um, I mean, I'm, Swansea's a pretty bad club to um, to discuss this point on because, you know, like I said, our manager's just doing it by guesswork. There's no real plan in place. Um, and the bottom line is that uh, with us, um, constantly changing the lineup is helping nobody. Um, nobody can get used to the players that they're playing alongside. Um, nobody is... Um, you know, you know, nobody has any time settled in any particular formation or um, uh, to, to actually get used to it and, and know what they're doing. So, um, I, I mean, it's it's a lesson. If you are down the bottom, don't just change everything from one week to the next. You have to at least bite the bullet and stick with something, even if it's not perfect. You just have to 
at some point say, okay, this is what we've got, this is what we're sticking with, and we're going to try and make it work for the next few games. Um, but the one thing I will say is, if you do, if you do want to change it constantly from week to week, um, make sure your best players are playing the best position. Don't play Gilfie Sigurdsson up front on his own. Don't you know play Leroy Fair and holding midfielder. Not that I'm suggesting he's one of our best players by any means, but you know if you, if you are going to chop and change, you should be doing it to get the best out of players. Um, playing Gilfie Sigurdsson on the wing, playing Gilfie Sigurdsson up front, playing Leon Britton in a, in, a, in a four-man midfield. Play, you know, these kind of decisions, you, it, it just infuriates me. Um, but then, you know, you look at someone like Conte at Chelsea, um, playing Victor Moses at, um, at, at wing-back, um, and you think, oh, well, you know, every now and again you do stumble on something that seems crazy uh, at first, but then seems to work, so... I guess, what do I know on this subject? I <laughs> uh, don't want to concern you too much, but maybe as much as Bob Bradley. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what about Burnley? Yeah, it's, it's it's weird for us because last season, obviously, won the championship playing 4-4-2 pretty much every week. Uh, but this season, we've played 4-5-1 more than 4-4-2, so... For nerds like me who like talking about tactics, it's been great because there's been some tactics to talk about rather than the same all the time. Um, it does mean, however, that Andre Gray is not getting a look in at the moment. Now, obviously, that's his own stupid fault for getting banned for four games for sending stupid tweets years ago. So it's difficult to have sympathy for him. But he is probably our main goal threat, even though he's only scored once in the league so far this season. And I, I do feel if we are going to stay up, we need to get him back in the team. And with a 4-5-1, it's difficult to see how that's going to happen because he really needs support up there. He's not suited to playing a lone striker role. And it would probably be a waste if we asked him to play out wide. Um, and I'm also not sure he'd do the defending required from that Dash likes from his wingers. So we're in a bit of a bind at the moment. Um, results were quite good uh, playing the 4-5-1 while Gray was suspended. We've obviously had two defeats in the last two games, which may prompt a little bit of a rethink. We're at Stoke next weekend. I think they play a 4-2-3-1, which seems to be very popular around Europe at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see what Dash has up his sleeve because... I think um, the point about playing players in the right position is a really important one, and I'm not sure we're doing that at the moment. We spent £10 million on on Jeff Hendrick, who fans seem quite upset with so far. He's certainly not looked like a £10 million player, although my argument is that that's not really his fault. He didn't decide he was worth £10 million. Burnley Football Club did, so don't shout at him for that. but we're playing Hendrick almost as a 10 at the moment. He doesn't really seem suited to it. He's not very good with his back to goal. It needs to be going forward with the ball. Um, so maybe a bit of a rethink would suit Hendrick. And considering we paid all that money for him, we must consider him to be a very important player. So we need to think how we can get the best out of Hendrick. I think getting Gray back in the team is key. So I think a return to to four four two for Burnley is probably going to be on the cards sooner rather than later. Um, but I, I like seeing all the innovation. I think Conte has been a, a breath of fresh air with a three four three that 
I don't think we've seen anyone really play in the Premier League before. I love Man City's mad formations, like the 3-2-4-1 they played in Europe in midweek. I thought that was insane, but <laughs> extremely fun to watch. Um, yeah, I, I like the variation. Teams playing different systems rather than the same all the time. Like last year, it seemed like everyone was playing 4-2-3-1. It was so boring, like just the same formations all the time. But there's a lot of variation at the moment, a lot of different styles, different types of plan involved and I think that that's good for the league in the end I think it, it goes in cycles doesn't it this kind of thing some some things come into fashion the back three seems to be a bit sexy at the moment people like trying to play the back three so maybe that's the the time for the back three but yeah I like it I like seeing different formations from from a team that have changed their formation seemingly every week in in Swansea um we've not changed our formation since about 2012 um basically we've had that four four two um for as long as I can remember. Granted my memory is not particularly good. Um but yeah, so the the problem is more personnel, I think, rather than approach at the moment. Um we've got a lot of um I don't know. The thing is we've actually got quite a top heavy squad at the moment. Like we've got a lot of attacking players. If you look at our bench on a weekly basis. Uh, you've normally got Hernandez and a sub goalkeeper, and then everyone else is either a winger or a striker. Um, very little um, midfield cover. We, got, we had Matty James actually back on the bench in the in the last game, which um, is is huge news, given that he's he's not kicked a ball in um, in about eighteen months after going off injured in the the last game of the season where we we just stayed up. Um, so that's that's great news for him and obviously another option for us in the centre of the park which kind of can't come too soon um, the issue I think at the moment is that we're struggling to figure out what our best team is um, Jamie Vardy is probably the streakiest striker in the league um, a testament to that will be his um, record breaking run last year and then he will basically go three months without scoring and he's kind of on one of those runs at the moment where he scored for England uh, against Spain but he hasn't. Uh, he scored. I think he scored one Premier League goal this year. Um, meanwhile, you've got thirty million pound Islam Soleimani sitting on the bench um, on Saturday. Granted, he was coming back from injury, um, but you've also got Shinji Okazaki, who has come on leaps and bounds, and probably is one of the only two players, along with Drinkwater, that looks anything like um, half decent this year as well as last year. Um, so I think we're struggling to, to work out how to fit those guys in. And then you've got, you know, kind of impact players like Gray and Musa and Schlupp um, sitting on the bench, kind of coming on when we're trying to salvage a point. Um, so, it, I mean, potentially we could change it. I, I don't think Claudio is the type of manager to make those changes unnecessarily, but something has got to change. Perhaps we need to go to a, a kind of, I don't know, like a four-five-one that becomes a four-three-three. Um, in in the same way that Jamie was saying, that seemed to be very popular last year, and potentially with the fact that we could pack the midfield out um, and and try not to get overrun quite as much in the centre of the park. Potentially, that's an option. Um, I suppose the issue then becomes who do you play as the one? Because if it's Silamani, that's fine, and he's a target man, but it means you you're likely to leave you know the other three strikers on the bench. Uh, because none of them are, are wingers. You could play, play Vardy out wide, but that's only going to exasperate his lack of scoring, but then so sitting on the bench. So it's a difficult one. Um, I get a feeling that we won't change it just yet. I've, I've got a feeling that we're so drilled into that four four two that changing it would cause more problems than it would solve. I think it's more just about working on the nuances of the, the, the game. and We've been so effective at it before, I don't think he'll change it just yet. 
um, especially with the options that we've got at the moment, kind of threadbare in that centre of the midfield. But it's certainly an option, I suppose, going down the line. It's you know we're what a third of the way through the season now, so there is a there is an option there to change it down the line if we need to. But I just think yeah, it's it's a difficult one. It's not a, a task that I envy um, because obviously you know Claudio watches the players every week in training, but we just can't get an attacking formation that seems to give us any fluency at the moment. Um, and that's causing major issues because it's just putting pressure on the, the midfield and the defence, and that's kind of what's leading to to kind of negative results at the moment. Mm. Yeah, Tottenham, uh, we have been changing things uh, maybe too much. It's five different formations and five matches for us now, and uh, it, a lot of it is because we're dealing with injuries. Um, I mentioned before, I think Ericsson is the one that suffers the most because when you're not playing a four-two-three-one, you're asking even more from Ericsson to cover more ground whether or not he's on the wing or maybe he's having to sit a little bit further back than usual. Uh, it just doesn't really seem to be suiting him. I think with our best 11, uh, as unsexy as it may be, Jamie, I think a return to the 4-2-3-1 would help us. But there would have to be a change, and it's a dangerous one, which is I think we would need to swap out Wanyama for Dyer. Now, Wanyama, I think, is one of the best pure defensive midfielders in the Premier League. But he offers nothing else. Eric Dyer is a capable passer of the ball from midfield, which combined with uh, Dembele's dribbling and strength made a very good duo in the Premier League last season. While Wanyama can mop up more than Dyer and is better in that role single-handedly, I think it actually diminishes our creativity going forward. Um, Lamella coming back, obviously, on the right would be huge for us. We wouldn't have to be playing people out of position over there. Um, but then you do have to ask, you know, the question of with the way Sun had been playing, although he has not really kept up that form. In fact, he probably should have had two goals against Monaco in a match where we did not score two goals. Um, we do have to fit those four players in there once Lamella gets back between Lamella, Erickson, Ali and Sun. Uh, and I think Sun's pace is going to earn him a spot just because we need that. It's something that we we desperately lack from our other options. Um but yeah, for me, I think a four-two-three-one would work well for us. I will say my hesitancy about playing three at the back is the reliance on Walker and Rose as wingbacks. But I will freely admit that may be a concern based on my opinions of them from years past and not really thinking about how good each of them are at the moment. But I, I would still be hesitant, really, thinking about the two of them being our only uh, width there. So... We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and, and it would be so harsh for Wanyama because he's done nothing wrong other than just be a singularly focused player uh, where I think Dyer offers a little bit more uh, more well-roundedness, uh, <laughs> for lack of an actual word, um, which is surprising because, you know, Dyer was a center back. But you can tell his form has dipped a little bit um, since being shifted to center back. Part of that is that he was paired with Vimmer, who clearly is not at the level he was last year. Uh, Safe with the editor of this show saying, you know, maybe what we saw in Vimmer last year was really kind of the spillover from Toby being so great right next to him. But uh, yeah, I think 4-2-3-1 would be what I would do for now and, you know, return to what we did last year and see if we can't recreate what we did last year. All right, and now we will head into Player Watch, where we will quickly talk about a player that impressed and one that disappointed for us at the weekend. If nobody disappointed for you, then you can, of course, praise somebody from the opposition. Gitto, we'll start with you. I'm going to guess that you aren't going to praise some of the defenders, but might praise some of your players in attack. <laughs> defenders are definitely not deserving of praise. <laughs> 
on either side of uh, of that um, contest on Saturday. Maybe uh, they don't even deserve to be called defenders at that point. They really don't. They didn't. They didn't do anything. They just opened the gate for the other team. Um, they really did. Um, I, I think it's tough to pick out the player who really was worse than everybody else. But I'll, I'll go for Federico Fernandez. Um, he's not very good. I mean, whenever you, whenever you see Fernandez play for the last like year or so, you've been expecting a mistake at some point. You've been expecting to to just mess up and lose focus. And, and he just never had focus against Crystal Palace. He was, he, I mean, the amount of times that he was, that he lost his marker for, for goals. Um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, Neil Taylor didn't have a great game. didn't have a very good game either. Um, he was at fault for the first one where Zaha just bumps him off um, when, when he overcommits. Um, but Federico Fernandez for some of those set pieces, he's meant to be marking Benteke. Actually, it was interesting because Benteke was also marking Fernandez at the other end, and Benteke was equally bad at marking him, um, which is why we scored the fifth goal. Um, it's fascinating, it really is. It's brilliant to watch. Um, but yeah, Fernandez was probably our worst defender uh, in terms of somebody who stood out. There's Gelfie Sigerson is the obvious one, scored a stunning free kick in the first half. Um, two great deliveries for our um, second and third goals. Um, his shot is turned in by. Urente for the fourth and then for the fifth one. I mean, it's very difficult to put a decent ball into the box from a sort of central position 40 to 50 yards out. But that's exactly what he did. Um, his his dead ball... I mean, I mean, his ability from dead balls uh, situations... Pff, I, I, do you know what? I really don't know how many better players there are in this league at it. Um, it's just a shame, actually, that apart from when we play against Crystal Palace, we don't have too many players in the team who can attack those great deliveries and really make the most of them. Um, but he, but he's absolutely stunning from free kicks and corner situations. He's just so good. Um, and, and he stood out massively against Palace. He really did. Yeah, it's difficult to pick out individuals from, from Burnley's performance, as Matt said, you really. I mean, and everyone did okay. Um, I've Felt like in the first half, our best player was probably Dean Marnie. Obviously, he scored a fantastic goal. His first Premier League goal in seven years, um, which is my time, really. The number of times he goes to shoot from those sorts of positions and hits someone in Rose Zed, it's probably about time that one went in like that. But, yeah, excellent, excellent goal from Dean Marnie. And I felt like when he went off, we really missed him in midfield, especially given... Um, our lack of depth in midfield. Hopefully, uh, the re-signing of Joey Barton will sort that in January. Fingers crossed that will all go through nicely. Um, disappointing. <laughs> you could probably pick out one of the defenders. Some of the defending was just appalling. Don't really want to think about the defending anymore, though. Um, so I'm going to pick on George Boyd. Um, I'd big him up before the game. He scored in both games against Man City in the Premier League two years ago. So it felt like a quite a wise selection. He obviously is a player who raises his game for these sorts of matches, but he just offered absolutely nothing. Um, I was looking through the stats for, for something else, and he touched the ball 22 times in 90 minutes against City. And this is a guy who's meant to be one of our four attacking players in the team. Um, 22 touches, incidentally, was the same as De Marnie managed in his 40 minutes on the pitch. And Demoni's leg fell off after half an hour. So George Boyd was an absolute passenger 
he got in his 10 miles as normal but in terms of actual impact on the game there was nothing and I think patience is starting to run out for George Boyd but unfortunately with Goodmanson now injured Scarfield's in poor form as well we don't really have any good wingers at the moment so that's great <laughs> in terms of Leicester it's as Jamie kind of alluded to with Bennett it's very slim pickings um in terms of the positives, I think the, the the only player who kind of came out of the game with any credit was Shinji Okazaki. And that's been a, a theme of our season, as I said um, earlier on. He looks a lot more lively this year. He looks he looks more aware. I think his, his game awareness and his um, general kind of pace of play looks finally up with the Premier League. I think coming in from the Bundesliga, he, he didn't necessarily catch up quite as quickly as people expected him to um because i think some people do draw parallels between the two in terms of like the physicality and the pace that some teams play at and stuff and high pressing but he he looks a million dollars um better than the, the player he was last year um and, and you know he wasn't a bad player last year by any stretch of the imagination he just needs to um, he needed to, to just be stronger in the tackle. Like he isn't the biggest physical player, um, but I think what he's learned to do is is use his body to, to shield the ball a bit more now, so that he's offering a, an option when he gets his uh, the ball with his back to goal. He's not losing every fifty fifty challenge. He's not being shrugged off the ball by these big kind of bulky Premier League defenders that have got four or five inches in height and God knows how much in weight on him, um, and that are trying to lean him off the ball at times. Um, so yeah, he he played pretty well. I'd say he did what he he's expected to do. He's very energetic and he he makes things happen um, in terms of pressing the, the the opposition back four. He did have a good chance um, halfway through. The, I think it was just coming to the end of the first half, and he had a kind of scissor kick, very similar to a goal he scored against Newcastle uh, last season, actually, um, when we were kind of on the, on a decent run. Um, and I think he scored one against Norwich like that as well um, last season. But he's um, he's in and around the box and he's making chances and stuff. He's just not quite as clinical um, as some of the others, although his, his scoring record is... But I think he's got as many goals this year as he got the whole of last year already. Um, so that is an improvement, I guess. Negatives, I could talk about most of the team, to be honest. Um, I think Christian Fuchs is probably the biggest... Um, upset for me like he's normally such a classy player and he's I think he's one of the best signings we've made um in the last few years alongside Kante and, and Cambiasso when we had him I think he it amazes me he was on a free transfer um he is he, just he's a Rolls Royce for fullback normally and he's got this long throw that just causes so many problems in opposition areas because of of how tall we are and like sending the center uh, center backs forward basically any throw within 30 yards of the opposition goal line kind of becomes a corner. We can put so much pressure on and yeah, positionally he's normally just so aware and so calm on the ball. And that just seems to desert him yesterday. He was, you know, and he gets frustrated with himself and uh, you know, I understand why, because he's got exceptionally high standards um, and he's just signed this new contract, which is brilliant news, but he just didn't perform anything like what we expect of him yesterday. I think he's culpable for the second goal. Um, between him and who somebody's got to be tracking the grader there. You can't get caught out by a guy, you know, who plods in behind you. Um, nothing more than the kind of quickish dash rather than lightning pace. It's not like he's facing Theo Walcott and he's getting left for dead over 10 yards. Uh, Fuchs isn't slow. Um, the, positionally, we were just all over the place. We gave the guy a five or six yard head start and you can't do that against a half decent striker. Um so yeah, he, I think he upset. He was the kind of player I was upset the most with. Um, but 
the, there are plenty of other candidates that I could name, not least Karius, uh, not Karius, sorry, I'm getting my goalkeepers mixed up, not least um, Ron Rod Ziegler in goal. Um, I think positionally he just needs to, to work on that a little bit more, getting beat at his near post um, and then across his near post yesterday in the last couple of weeks is, is a worrying sign. So, yeah, I think Fuchs, Fuchs takes it for me just, but it's close. Yeah, like I said, it wasn't such a bad performance from us, although I do think Vimmer got a bit undone by Victor Moses, which uh, as soon as I realized that was what was going to happen, uh, went all in on Victor Moses in DFS lineups. Obviously, that ended up working out from that standpoint. Not so fun as a fan, uh, obviously, of Tottenham, but uh, Vimmer just has not been up to snuff this season after he looked very impressive last season at the start of this season. He wasn't even being named in the squad on match days, and everybody was freaking out about us losing such a, a talented young player, and are we just going to sit him until he leaves? Um, and, you know, now now starting to see maybe why he requires a little more seasoning and why he wasn't as involved uh, earlier in the year. Uh, it was very good to see Christian Eriksen getting a little bit back to, to where he's been in years past. Uh, he was the player with the most shots on target without a goal in the Premier League, so eventually it was going to come from a statistical standpoint Although I never particularly jumped on that train because he has looked largely awful this season. Um, so very good to see him back in and amongst the goals. Uh, I think Lamella coming back will help him a lot. I think having another creator on the pitch will help distract him from what he's trying to do to defenses. Uh, but was pleased with Erickson. Was pretty disappointed in Vimmer. Although, to be fair, Vimmer was out of position. But he has been disappointing on the whole thus far this season. All right, and that will do it for this episode of the EPL Roundtable. So, guys, if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Uh, I'm Gittos Willen, a member of the Jackcast uh, podcast, and we will be recording sometime this week, and you will be able to uh, listen to that uh, by clicking on our Twitter page, at the Jackcast. I'm Jamie Smith. I'm Burnley FC fan, and I host the Known and Ever podcast. Uh, we record Mondays, so this week's episode will probably be out Tuesday or Wednesday. You can find that at nonanever.net or follow us on Twitter at nonanevernet. Thanks, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at jimnight88. Um, I'm the gaming content manager for Perform, which is a company who have a lot of kind of football portals like goal.com and Soccerway. Uh, an opter as well so if betting's your thing then uh, check us out on various different twitter accounts and stuff and see the content that we're pushing out um, to cover all the football ahead of this weekend yeah and i'm your host kevin devries at kevroff on twitter uh there's a championship show and an fpl show on the same channel that you should be sure to go check out uh also i write for the eaglesbeak.com that's gonna be an adventure of a website this week uh so if you want to see any of the fallout from that uh and i assume lots of party out comments go check those out over there uh also check out playtaga.com if you like the draft versions of uh fantasy premier league games and uh, vipbet.com where we do dfs stuff me and rob langevin who's my partner and co-host over there on the fpl roundtable All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.